it's a two-part series, a two-part series. I want to kind of tell you a little bit in advance where we're going uh, today and next Sunday. Pastor Burton will then be the 30th, and then in May, we're going to commence a Holy Spirit emphasis as we head in to Pentecost Sunday, which will be the last Sunday in May. But I'm going to begin a two-part sermon series, if you call it that, because they're not they're related by topic, but they're not related by text. But today we're going to commence a um, sermon that I'm going to find the text in Jude. We're going to go ahead and read. There's only 25 verses in the entirety of this small epistle that is towards the end of the New Testament right before the book of Revelation. It's page 1460 in my Bible. That helps you. And so verse number one is, let's read this together. It's in large print for all of you that are buying burgers with Jojo on its way to Little Rock. Um, Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to them that are sanctified, I hope, believe that's us, amen, by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called. That's a special place to be, to be called, preserved, and sanctified. Mercy unto you, Jude writes, and peace and love be multiplied. But he quickly transitions. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men who have turned the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. I will, therefore, put you in remembrance, though you once knew this. How many know sometimes you have to, Peter said these words, stir up your minds by way of remembrance. Though you once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believed not. The angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he, being God, hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. It's almost as if Jude is painting a different picture of God that is often propagated in the pulpits in America today. Even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh, are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Likewise, also these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil of dignities. Yet Michael the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not, or durst, King James English, not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke thee. But these, going back to these men, these speak evil of those things which they know not. But what they know naturally as a brute beast in those things, they corrupt themselves. They're giving themselves over to all, uh, what King James, inordinate affection of their bodies. Woe unto them, verse 11. Woe unto them. Anytime you see a three-letter word, woe, you need to pause and look very closely in the response. For they have gone in the way of Cain and ran greedily after the heir of Balaam for reward. And they perished in the gainsaying of Korah. These are spots in your feast of charity. When they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear, clouds they are without water, carried about of winds, trees whose fruit withereth, without fruit, twice dead, plucked up by the roots, raging waves of the sea, foaming out their own shame, wandering stars to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. And Enoch, also the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, 
Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousand of his saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are murmurers, Jude concludes, complainers walking after their own lust and their mouths speak great swelling words having men's persons in admiration because of advantage, seeking to gain advantage. But, beloved, verse 17, a slight shift here, reminding again, ye the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. Don't forget that 17th verse. How that they told you, they told you there should be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own ungodly lust. These be they who separate themselves, sensual, having not the Spirit. They're carnal. They do not possess the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. But you, again, a transition. With great emphasis, we'll close on this here in a few moments. But you, beloved, building up. Matter of fact, I want to ask you to stand up. We'll go and read these last five verses here, and we'll return to one other verse. But you, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. Come on now, amen. Let's look at that. Now keep yourselves in the love of God looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And of some have compassion, making a difference. And others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. Now unto him that is able, this is a praise, this is a shift to praise. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling, and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. And all the people said, Amen. Amen. Now we're going to read one additional verse of this same chapter, the third verse, from which we're going to extract our sermon title today. Let's read this one closely. Beloved, just so you'll know this on the third verse here in Jude uh, of this text that we just read, the third verse. This is the text of Scripture that I chose when I preached my very first tryout. My, it was my message that I preached at Shirley Maranatha Assembly of God back in 1996 when I was trying out, if you will, to, to become a pastor. This was the text that I chose, the third verse. It's almost a default text for me that when I find myself a little bit of uh, wrestling with cultural issues I find myself defaulting to this text. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. So my two-part sermon series, if you will, is simply called, the first one is contend. That's today. I'm going to speak about this subject matter extracted from this third verse. Next week, reprove. Contend and reprove. Contend and reprove. And uh, obviously, I've already been elected to this church, and so I have a little bit greater confidence to continue to move forward in sharing this today. I want you to open your heart today to what the Spirit of the Lord would say to us. How many believe that God's Word is living and active? It is sharper than any two-edged sword. Jude said that this was written towards the last time. He is he's expecting that in his generation. And so it was particular to his generation, but it's also particular to ours as well. It's as relevant today as the day that he took pen and he began to scribe 
as the Spirit of God moved on his heart, exhorting the listener to earnestly contend for the faith. I'm telling you, uh, we're living in unsettled times. We can't pretend that if we hide our head in the sand or if we hide behind the four walls of the church, that the struggle that's within the culture is going to suddenly dissipate. You've been called to contend. Father, I ask you to bless this today. You know how I feel not prepared today, God. Coming off of a week of where I went into Easter Sunday so prepared in my spirit. But this week, Father, difficulties and challenges and distractions, Father. But God, I know one thing. I know that there's an anointing. That, God, you have an anointing, Father. And the Spirit of God could go beyond, far beyond my personal preparation. Perhaps I didn't need that personal preparation because you're going to give us an on-time word, Father. A prophetic word that can bubble up out of the, out of the a Holy Spirit, God, today. Lord, I ask today that the heart of every person be prepared, Father, to receive this word. It's in Jesus' name and all God's children said amen and amen. Thank you so much for honoring the word of God. Let me tell you just a couple of things just real quickly about myself personally that not necessarily that has anything to do with this text, but it has anything to do about the conflict that I have within myself when I come to a text like this. I believe in being a peacemaker. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall see God. You believe that? I believe that. Uh, one of my favorite verses of Scripture to pray is where Paul said, uh, as he wrote to Timothy, he said, uh, Timothy, he said, pray that you might live a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness. And I, I long for that. I, I, I long, and I, I personally have never been a scrapper. I've never been a fighter. Um, I think that God formed a pastor's heart in me many long years ago, even as a child. But, but also, though, you've got to watch people like me, though, because if we get pushed over the edge, we're the, we're the crazy ones. We're the ones that we get a look in our eye that you're like, I hadn't seen that before. Other folks like Joe over here, you're like, Joe's always on edge. He's ready to take you down. But it's when the nice guy like me, I'm the one that snaps and I just go, well, so I got to contain all that. I got to contain all that because I like to preach. Joe, I wouldn't mean to throw you under the bus, by the way, right there, though. So you live on edge, though, at times, you know, so. Um, but with that, just with that very quickly, though, and I believe in the power. I know that the angelic word of the angel long years ago was that when Christ came, announcement was made, peace on earth and goodwill toward men. And so we believe that. He is the prince of peace. But out of his own doctrine, and I don't mean to go ahead of myself because I have this verse of Scripture written down later, but Jesus himself did not refute that because that was prophesying of the culmination of when the government would be laid upon his shoulder. But until that time, Jesus said, don't think that I came to send peace on the earth. He said, I came to bring a sword. He said, I came to create division. He said, I'll divide a father-in-law from a mother-in-law. Come on, a household will be divided because of the agitation of faith and righteousness. This particular book here in Jude's epistle is very unique. Number one, in how brief it is. It's one of the briefest in all the New Testament. 
But number two, in how that it reads so closely to another epistle, 2 Peter, just a couple of epistles earlier, we find 15 of the 25 verses here that are recorded by Jude, almost word by word verbatim in the Apostle Peter's epistle. Now, our theologians are unsure, our scholars are unsure who influenced the other. Was it Jude? This Jude is supposedly and very probably a brother, a half-brother of the Lord Jesus Christ. So that means that he, at one time, had stood far off from Christ when during Christ's ministry. He would have been one that was with his mother. His mother they believed in him, but he got, Jesus had gotten so radical that they were afraid to even get uh, fully uh, involved in the fray, if you will. Uh, they thought he was beside himself a little bit. Maybe even to the degree he became a little bit deranged uh, is what was kind of going on in their mind. And then they wept when they watched him die on the cross. But when he got up from the grave, something shifted. And many of Jesus' half-brothers became apostolic leaders. And we see that with Jude. And they write an epistle. And I, I want to just draw your attention. It's a little bit of... Uh, just simply going back and dialoguing with some of the texts that we read. But I, I love Jude's heart here in the third verse. Because Jude here commences almost pastorally. He almost writes pastorally, almost in the same vein as when Paul exhorts us to pray for a quiet and peaceable life. He said this, When I determined with, to give all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation... He intended to simply write an epistle that would just perhaps talk about a precept of faith, maybe on righteousness or holiness. He mentioned in the, in the verses above, sanctification, preservation, call. That was his intention, to just simply write down something where that you and your private devotions, getting up in the morning, your coffee, you got alone time, and you're just reading just a nice little devotion of Jude about the goodness of God and the mercy of God and the love of God. But he said, as this verse unfolds, he said, But then I found it. Other translations, King James says needful. Other translations said, I found it necessary to call you into the fray. I, I, I found it necessary to adjure you that it's time for you to get off the sidelines and to get on the field. It's time for you to graduate from boot camp. It's time for you to move into a new season of your life. Because like Esther of old, if you remain silent at this time, God will do something apart from you. But perhaps you have come. This is your time to earnestly begin to contend for the faith because something has happened to us is what Judas is beginning to write about. Right, And he said, uh, concerning this, what were they to contend for? What was the point? Well, you know, if you have football, there's a ball. Everybody wants the ball. Basketball, everybody wants the ball. Sometimes in football, especially, somebody's running down the sideline, and then somebody faster than him runs him down, and before he tackles him, he strips him of the ball. And then the ball is rolling and twisting and kicking, and it's shaped oblong, so it's hard to grab when you fall on it. And if somebody that weighs 300 pound falls on it and it pops out from his arm and dives over in somebody and they're all jumping on the ball well see Jude has something here that he's referencing he said that everybody wants it and he said they're all jumping and they're trying to get it and we're sitting back and we're watching it and he called it the faith the faith 
I have to believe there is something in his heart and mind. I don't want to add to his words, but I have to believe he's speaking of an authentic faith, a genuine faith, a faith that he describes as having been once delivered to the saints, a faith that's not going to change, doctrine that's not going to be compromised, a faith that, 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 will, that will be propagated generationally, even in, the midst of, of, uh, even in the midst of jeers and mockings and things that he writes about later. He said there is an authentic faith that we have to be willing to contend for. Now, one of the things that I want to just ask you here today, you say, well, Pastor Brown, this word faith, a lot of people have faith. Faith is something you can be of the Muslim faith. You can be of the Hindu faith. So what is this faith here? What's the litmus test? If we're, st- if we're going about to come off of the bench, if we're about to say, whoo, it's my time. I'm about to step into the fray. I'm about to put my helmet on. I'm about to go out on the field. What is the litmus test for you and I to know that this is the faith that we want to contend for because if you're going to contend for it I hope that you're contending for that which is authentic that which is genuine I believe that the litmus test excuse me that we should look to to say this is the faith that I want to possess and then I want to pass to someone else is the faith that was handed to us by the apostles let me just say that. I know that sounds so trivial. I know it sounds so shallow, even if you will. But let me just tell you real quickly. The faith that I'm talking about is not the faith uh, that's been skewered by men that, that have corrupted the Word of God in our generation. I'm talking about uh, the faith uh, that the Apostle Peter and John, are you with me today? And Matthew and Jesus' 12 disciples uh, that they stood bold in that first generation and they proclaimed to the Jewish leaders of their day that this man Jesus, that you killed on the tree, that God hath raised him from the dead and that salvation is in no other name but in the name of Jesus Christ. That's the faith that you and I want to possess. I want my faith to be influenced by apostolic writers. And it says in the 17th verse, the apostle Jude, not one of the twelve, again perhaps one of the brothers here, again uses the impact of the apostles to stir the faith of those who would receive this epistle. He said, remember the words that were spoken. I want you to remember. I believe the faith that you and I want to possess, it must have a look and feel that makes it both discernible and recognizable. (laughs) I believe that there ought to be a fragrance in your life. Paul called it the fragrance of Christ. It's the fragrance of life unto life, and it's the fragrance of death unto death. There ought to be something in you that causes people around you to be unsettled in their complacency. There ought to be something inside of you that causes people around you, that, that causes them to be agitated in their apostasy. Are you out there today? There ought to be something in you. I know I've told this story a 
long years ago. But one of the apostolic leaders of the early days of the Pentecostal movement, Smith Wigglesworth, was on a train one day, sat down beside a man in a train car, didn't say anything, didn't read the Bible, didn't pull a scripture out, didn't have a, have a bulletin, didn't have a devotion, just sat there. And after a few minutes, the man beside him got up, looked at him, and said, Sir, thou convictest me of sin, and turned and walked away. And I want you to know there better be an anointing in your life in the days in which we live because we're going to have to contend to be able to pass that which was handed to us. Let's go a little bit farther. The writer Jude gives us a warning to society. I'm telling you, mankind is evil apart from the grace of God. Church family, we all like sheep went astray. And the wickedness of man's heart, Noah told us, is on evil continually. The only thing that can preserve us and sanctify us is the redeeming work of Christ on the cross. But Jude here, in warning the leaders uh, that were going to receive this epistle, looked at some extreme situations that said, look what happens when mankind unrestrained by the power of the Spirit of God. Look what happens. Look who he alluded to just very, very quickly in the text. I originally wrote people groups, not necessarily always just people groups. But he first said Israel. He said Israel. He alluded to Israel when they came out of Egypt. And he simply here is showing us a side of God that's been consistent since God chose to reveal himself in the written record of the word of God. That God is both merciful and loving, yes, but he is also holy, righteous, and he is the judge, right? And in this text, he begins to unveil for us. Remind, he said, I want to tell you about it. You were taught it in Sunday school. You once knew it, but because ungodly men have come in, your doctrine has begun to shift right there in your own hands and in your own heart. He alludes back to ancient Israel. He said they were delivered out of Egypt. But many of you know that Israel stumbled in the wilderness. They stumbled in unbelief. They were led into apostasy. When essence, they became idolaters. Then he even references angels. He said angels that left their first habitation. Angels that were created morally upright, holy, and in power. He said they left their habitation, so therefore God has reserved them in chains of darkness against the judgment of that great day. And then he calls out one of the most famous or infamous in all the word of God, Sodom and Gomorrah. Sodom and Gomorrah who gave themselves over to fornication, unrestrained sexual activity, and even, as you know the context, homosexuality. He said they, get, were, they, they were made an example of suffering eternal fire. And then lastly, Noah. Noah who was known as a preacher of righteousness. The scripture says in the book of Hebrews that he, with, by faith he prepared an ark to the saving of his house, but he condemned the world, and God brought in the flood upon the ungodly. That doesn't get you elected in a lot of churches in America today with this type of doctrine. Let me tell you, but it is a part of the gospel and the faith that you and I better possess. It's a warning. Listen to me, it is a stark warning of what can happen to society unrestrained by principles of faith. 
when I read this, I know this. God can deliver the godly out of temptations. That's what Peter said. God can deliver. He, he, we know in Scripture during the same examples, though there were those judged in the days of the Israel, Israel's uh, deliverance from Egypt, but Joshua and Caleb were set apart. We also know that when God uh, judged Sodom and Gomorrah, he preserved Lot. We also know during the days of the deluge that the Scripture says Noah and his family were kept safe in the ark. And so God preserved some during those uh, semi-apocalyptic times, but others were brought to divine judgment. I wonder today, can the culture in which you and I live escape such righteous judgment? Fair question. The American Republic is no longer bridled by convictions and religions. We've become a secular nation. We don't have time for, for biblical principles. And there's an agitation unlike perhaps anything that we have seen in our lifetime. I know it is un unlike anything we have seen in our lifetime. That I honestly believe it's light versus darkness. You can stage it however you want to. What we have today is we have apostate cults of various religious and political ideologies that are shaping the education system, the religious system, in control of media, pop culture, and certainly the civil government. Are you out there today? Jude describes a faith that we have to contend for. Do you know what contend means? It means you've got to struggle for it you got to wrestle. It's not going to just happen. Even guys like myself, that by my personality, by my personality, I'm live on the farm, watch the grass grow, watch the, watch the cows eat it, watch the grandkids try to no avail to catch a fish in the pond. But there are moments when you can't just live in your own isolated place, not involved as the culture erodes around us. This gospel that Jude is writing about, it was delivered to the saints by the apostles of Jesus. And it was expected to be maintained, preserved, and passed to successive generations. So we have contention outside the church that I'm going to come back to in just a moment. But we also have contention within the church that we see him writing about. Jude spoke of people that speak evil of things that they know not. We live in a generation, any disagreement with uh, the LGBTQIZML, uh, uh, on and on, and uh, with homosexuality and transgenderism or abortion, is met with such hatred or animosity against anybody. It doesn't matter if you're meek and quiet and you've got a gentle spirit. It doesn't matter if you stand. Did you know uh, there's a new religion in America today, transgenderism? It's become a new religion. I mean, and I'll tell you exactly what it is. It's, it's uh, idolatry. And you say, Pastor, oh my goodness, this is one of those homophobic and now transphobic pastors. He's going to be throwing stones. No, I'm going to preach the truth in here today. Listen, it is preached in love, and I'm going to get there. And it's not intended to hurt or harm anybody, anybody, but to be a warning voice that judgment comes. Judgment comes, and God is merciful. But if we fail to hear the word of God, then we too, are you out there today? 
So let, let, let me just go uh, into this for just a little bit. There's such a conflict within the culture that we're, we're, that we're dealing with, and, and this animosity is rising. Did you know violence against the church is on the rise? Now, it doesn't make the news very much. Now, only if there's an extremist on what we would call our side does something ignorant that you and I would look down upon and we would condemn with everything in us when they do something violent. That's the only thing that might make the news. But let me just tell you about violence in the church or against the church just real quickly. Let's ask the question, are we seeing it progress right in front of our eyes? Did you know that in 2018 there were 50 physical acts of violence against churches in the United States? Not against individuals. I'm sure it exceeds that. I'm talking about vandalism. I'm talking about the property. I'm talking about interrupting services. In 2019, it began to grow. It grew to 83 in 2019. 2020, everybody was was masked up they stayed in their homes they didn't come out the number dropped 54 but it began to pick up again in 2021 now there were 96 physical acts of violence and vandalism against churches in the United States in 2022 there was 191 and now after the first quarter of 2023 there have been 69 acts of violence against the church against somebody that has just said your ideology your religion is against my my religion and so they're bringing an act of violence and that's why church family whether you want to contend or not you're going to be pulled into the fray right at some level and you got to know why you're doing what you're doing right and also we also know the weapons of our warfare are not carnal Right, we're not going to follow their practices and we're not going to try to burn down facilities and walk around and pick it. I'm not going to do anything like that. But I will storm the gates of heaven, come on somebody, in prayer and say, God, I need your help and I need your anointing. And then when his anointing is on my life, we storm the gates of hell, come on somebody, to proclaim the truth of the gospel. There's an agitation related to and there's a contention that must be made with the gospel, Jude spoke of people who speak of things that they know not, but what they know naturally akin to a brute beast. He said they corrupt themselves. When I think of this, worse than the conflict within the culture often is the conflict, or I wrote it and then I wrote, I wrote conflict in my notes and then I lined it out and I wrote apostasy within the church. Entire denominations. Entire, let me say that again. Entire denominations have fallen prey. Are you hearing me today? Jude describes such as clouds without water, trees withered whose fruit is dried up, twice dead plucked up by the root. Are you hearing me today? Right? And so let me give you an example of this very quickly. We live in a generation today that we now have a non-binary priest in the Church of England an Episcopal Church, the Evangelical Lutheran Church, the Presbyterian Church USA, the United Methodist Church now has fallen prey, the United Church of Christ, the Church, the Christian Church, Disciples of Christ, the Church of Scotland, the Church of England, the Church of Wales, the Church of Sweden, the Church of Norway, the Church of Denmark, the Church of Iceland, the Evangelical Lutheran Church of Finland, the Evangelical Church of Germany, the Protestant Church of the Netherlands, say it with me, Netherlands, the Belgium Church, the Swiss Reformed Church, the Protestant Church of France and of Canada and many others have fallen. What about you? Are you going to stand in the face of apostasy and be strong to contend for the faith that was once given to you? It's a question I have for you. It's a question I have for myself. 
We live in uncommon times, church family. And it's going to take an uncommon response. Jude speaks of murmurs and complainers, walking with the lust, whose mouths are full of pride and arrogance. We live in a generation today when things that you can't uh, fathom are happening so quickly. Are you hearing me today? It's snowballing. I honestly believe, let me just go ahead and just step out. It's not in my notes. I'll just speak because it's in my heart. The Apostle Paul writes in the book of 2 Thessalonians of a time, perhaps during his day, perhaps during the time of the fall of the, of the temple, when it says that God would send them strong delusion, they would believe a, a lie. It's almost like this, 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 this mindset, things that are so obvious right in front of us that people cannot see. It's almost like there's a blindness that's taking place, that the apostasy has grown to the, to, the, to the point where God, to a degree, has stepped back in certain areas, not in all areas, obviously, because he is merciful. That there are things that you just shake your head at that you just simply cannot fathom that are taking place in our lives. Gavin Newsom, the governor of California, during... Uh, the most recent some election campaigns was running an ad on TV and also on billboards under this guise right here. Love your neighbor, as Jesus said, by helping her get an abortion. Come on now. Are you, listen, this, I'm, not, I'm not making this stuff up. Um, a, a transgender person in Congress has now been elected. Recently, the homosexual governor of Colorado signed a bill making abortion a state constitutional right, uh, transgenderism, affirmation, and care, including mandating insurance companies to pay for surgery. Trans children, trans children is a word that Biden loves to use, claiming he is their protector. Are you hearing me today? When in certain places around the United States that your, trans, your, your 11-year-old child can begin to transition and a teacher at the public school could aid that child without reporting it to you? Listen, it's madness, church family. There are a few heroes along the way. There's a few heroes. Uh, I, I, I'm, I think her name is Riley Gaines. Is it Riley Gaines? He's the, the former swimmer at the University of Kentucky who was an All-American swimmer. And then she saw uh, that, that when she lost in the championships to a biological male, who could not compete, who, who was just average as a male, but, but now he still has uh, physical attributes of a male or, or body anatomy of a male, and yet he's swimming for, the, for women. And so she's stepping up, and she's facing ridicule. And she was recently on the campus of the University of San Francisco, invited there by a group called Turning Point USA, where she was physically assaulted and was hid in an office or a room for three hours while assaults. It's almost like the days of Sodom, when Lot was in the house and the doors were shut, and during the night people rose and they began to come and say, bring out those men, those were angelic men that had come into the, into the house, and we we're going to take them that we might know them. I'm telling you, we're living in a difficult time. And I'm telling you, we can't pretend that it's not going to affect us even up here in the hill country of, the United, uh, of north central Arkansas. We are involved whether or not we want to be involved or not. And so we've got to settle this within our hearts. We have to come to the place where Paul said this. He said, as much as lieth within you, live peaceably amongst all men. But there comes a moment, church family, when you've got to realize your hour has come. And I have to believe our hour has come. We're living in the generation of mockers that are mocking God with hatred and hostility. And we can't live on the defensive all the time. 
Some people in sports believe that the best offense is a good defense. Others believe I may not have the best defense, but if I've got the best offense... I probably would fail in giving an exhortation of defending the gospel. Uh, it's called apologetics. I probably wouldn't have the education. I wouldn't know what to say. Well, you know what, man? I don't feel like I have to defend God. God doesn't need me to defend Him. Last I look, He doesn't need anybody to defend Him. But I can share on the offensive side that this is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's not going to change to meet your perverted, distorted ideology. You know, I've said it before. I'll say it one more time. When you come into the kingdom of God, this is not Burger King. You can't come in and say, I want it my way. It's his way or the highway, glory to God. He's king over his kingdom. Now, he's still saving sinners, glory to God. Just because we have zeal and passion doesn't mean we don't have mercy and compassion. We're tired of just being beat up and backed down into a corner. So I want to share with you what I believe that we're going to have to do to hasten towards the end of this message. My default message, contend, to contend. Verses 20 through 23 speak of something that we want to draw your attention to to close the message out today. Pastor Brown, what am I going to need to do in order to able to be able to contend for the faith that was once delivered unto the saints? Number one, you got to build up your faith. You got to build it up, right? And if you're looking to me to build it up, I'm just a small part. Our other pastors, and we're just a small part. You better get along with God and work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. You better know these things better be written on the tablet of your heart. You better not just be getting in line because that's the cool thing in your little church setting to do. Because if you do that, you're going to be overwhelmed. But let me tell you, but when I'm talking about faith, listen, I'm not talking about what we've done. Here's what we've done with what's called the Word of Faith movement in the American church. We have taught you how to have overcoming faith. We have taught you how to sow a seed to get a blessing. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about enduring faith. I'm talking about building up your faith that has endurance because it's going to take endurance to be able to overcome what we're going through right now. You're going to have to be able to withstand trial, Man, I feel Jesus right there. You're going to have to be able to stand ridiculed and being falsely accused, called a homophobic, called a bigot, called everything else because you stand up and believe in the truth of the Scriptures. You're going to have to be able to go home at night and say that's what people say, but they speak about things that they know not. They don't know what's really going on inside of my heart. You're going to have to have a faith that can be tested and even shaken, but it will not fail. You're going to have to have a faith that can endure losing your job because you will not address a biological male as her, she, or woman. You're going to have to have a faith that's going through the fire that will not be burned. But I remember long years ago in the days of Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when they said, you're going to fall down and you're going to worship this golden statue of transgenderism. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, Oh, king, we want you to know that we, our God can save us. But if he doesn't save us, we want you to know we are still not going to bow at your edict because we're going to worship the one true God. We're going to have to have that kind of faith built up in our spirit that says, if all that I've ever gained is lost for the stand that I take, then to God be the glory. I'll lay it all down for the truth of the gospel. 
Number two, you better be praying in the Spirit, he said. Build up your most holy faith by praying in the Holy Spirit. Let me just tell you just real quickly about Pentecostalism. We're going to have Pentecost Sunday at the end of May. I'm going to teach and preach about the Holy Spirit in the month going up, building up and leading up to that. Where that goes, I don't know. But at one time, Pentecostalism was identified by folks jumping and shouting and they were under the power of the Spirit. We did that here this Sunday. That's all fine. I pointed to Caleb because that's where he stands. He said he's going to jump, shout, and sway. I'm for it all. I thank God for it. But I want want you to know to a degree there's some of that that's gone we need the spirit of God more than just for us to shout we need the spirit of God upon us to endure the day and the age in which we live that we will not compromise the truth that we will stand firm in what we believe we will contend for the faith it's worth fighting for it's worth the struggle it's worth being ostracized it's worth being ridiculed it's worth being losing your job it's worth all those things to be able to pass the true gospel of Jesus Christ into the hands of one God wants you to pass it to. It's worth it all to speak the truth in love. Let's go a little bit farther. I'm going to move you on the offensive side. I'm now in the 21st verse. He said, keep yourself in the love of God. Come on, we're moved by love. To tell the truth is not hate. Can I say it again? I know I don't have the ability to make these points at times, but I just can make it as plain and simple as I can. To tell somebody the truth is not hate. Listen, I love you far more. If you stand up for somebody and you, you minister to them in love and you speak the truth in love, you are seeking to save them for the trauma and the pain of a lifestyle of brokenness and the culmination, but definitely... From eternal judgment. Let me just tell you real quickly. God is merciful. We have to be very careful that when we begin to contend. That we don't get the wrong spirit upon us. Does anybody remember Jonah? Jonah he didn't want to go to Nineveh. He did not want to go to Nineveh. It wasn't because he didn't want to preach. It was because he hated the Assyrians. Nineveh was the chief city of Assyria. And he hated them because they were violent they had previously uh, murdered many of the, of the Israelites. Uh, they were known for their brutality. We've got picture images of them leading captives off of the battlefield with hooks in their nose, hooks in their lips. Uh, they were known to take women that were late with child and cut the child out of the womb. And so Jonah hated them, but God was merciful. And when, when Jonah said, I'm not going, and Jonah dove off, Jonah said, I'm not contending for this thing. Jonah dove over into the Mediterranean Sea, but God sent a fish, swallowed him up. Remember that? And Jonah comes out, he's all washed, he's been whitewashed in gastronomical juices of a great fish. Seaweed wrapped around his head. He didn't have a very eloquent sermon, right, did he? He's walking through the streets. Forty days, Nineveh's going to be destroyed. That's his sermon. Forty days, and Nineveh's going to be destroyed. Forty days, and Nineveh's going to be destroyed. And he goes outside the city, and he's hoping. He's hoping that Nineveh's going to be destroyed. But God was merciful. And God had to reprove the prophet for not believing in mercy. So when you contend, contend in the love of God. And contend with mercy. How many of you know this? God is long-suffering. 
You know, when Paul writes and addresses some of these issues in 2 Corinthians, you lo- you've read it, or 1 Corinthians, you've read it, I lo- I- I've read it, and we love it because we understand it. When he addresses things that we would call fleshly appetites that lead to sin and debauchery, debauchery he, he, he writes, he says, and of such were some of you. We know the depths of sin. We were sinners, and he saved us. So we have mercy in our hearts. You know, last I remembered, God searched even Sodom for one righteous person before judgment came. Last I looked, that the children of Israel, again, that Jude notes, when they came out of Egypt, God was so merciful time and time again. And how many of you know, during the days of Noah, Noah's hammer preached righteousness for 120 years. And did you know Peter writes about that in his epistle, that second epistle? And he said, he said, the earth that then was, was destroyed. But let me say this to you. If the people had repented at the preaching of Noah, the earth, the earth that then was would have remained because God is merciful. Noah would have had to build a bigger ark because God is merciful. If people would have just come to him, but they didn't. That's what we're today. Our hearts got to be right. What are our tactics in closing today? What are our tactics? What are we, you say when we're contending, how are we going to, to show people? How are we going to do? He said this, and some have compassion. Some have compassion. How many know that they're still in the heart of a Christian is a desire to be benevolent? Come on, somebody. To do good, to, to, to serve, to find somebody in need. To see somebody, let me just go ahead and step out one if I can for just a moment of time. This is free, it's not in the notes. I believe in the unified effort of the church. I believe in the organized effort of the church and outreach teams and all those things. But why do we need an outreach team to go across the street and do something good for our neighbor? Come on, somebody. Why do you need, do you, why, why does somebody have to tell, inside of you, there's a, a capacity to show compassion to someone. You know, the Bible says as often as you can do good, do it. Right, so some people, some people respond to compassion, benevolent acts. But then he said others, look at that. You can put it back up to the 23rd verse. Others save with fear. How many know fear is still a part of the gospel? <laughs> Wait a minute, Pastor, we're always praying, Lord, deliver me from fear. Let me go ahead and just, as I'm getting ready to close real quickly. I know I said I'm closing, I am. But I've been known to allow to preach. <laughs> Let me say this real quickly to you. I just made a statement. I said fear is still a part of the gospel. What are you talking about? I'm talking about the fear of God. The fear of God. Listen to, listen. I'm, I've, I've changed my tone. I've calmed down. I'm towards the end stretch. I've already peaked emotionally. I'm not going to lift my voice anymore then. I'm going to read it real quickly to you, real quickly. Luke chapter 12, the words of Jesus. Isn't this gospel that I'm talking about the words of Jesus? It, what he said, wasn't this handed to us by the apostles? His words, right? Here's his words. Here's his words. The words of Jesus. I say unto you, my friends. He's so meek. He's quiet and lowly. Meek of heart. Be not afraid of them that kill the body. And after that, have no more they can do. But I will forewarn you whom you shall fear. Fear him 
which after he hath killed hath power to cast into hell. Fear him. That's a part of the gospel. That's a part of why we contend for the faith. And I love this in the 24th verse. God is able to keep you from falling. Oh, I thank God for that. God forbid we preach to others and then we become cast away. Man, you keep yourself. Don't you walk around here all hypocritical? My son, Aaron, sent me a text recently. I found out later, I wish I'd have answered it right then because he was in a Bible study and he wanted to know about judge. What does it mean, judge not? And he said, is there any place for judgment? And I, I, that's a long question and I'm a very slow thumb texter. <laughs> and so uh, I just couldn't do it. I said, I will answer in person later. But I did not know he was in a Bible study and that was a point of discussion and someone said, well, Aaron, ask your dad. Or I might would have taken the two hours to get that paragraph typed. <laughs> and he asked a fair question, the fair question. So when does it become, when are you, we're, we're exhorted, judge not lest you be judged. But there is something called righteous judgment. Yes. So judgment, the judging that Jesus has warned us about here is when we're a hypocrite. Right, when we're living a sensual, sinful life in our own selves and we're condemning someone who's doing something of that similar nature themselves. That's unrighteous judgment. But righteous judgment is, is, man, brother, I want you to know, man, what you're doing is wrong in the eyes of God. And there's an accountability. And, and I'm praying for you, and I'm warning you, and I love you. And, and, and I'm telling you, my heart's not full of animosity towards you. I don't have hatred in my heart towards you. But God forbid that I don't warn you about impending judgment that could happen in your life. That's not judging someone. Right, that's warning them of the judgment to come. Come on, somebody. So as I conclude, and if Daryl doesn't mind to join me on the platform today, God can keep you from falling. John 17 and 15, here's a prayer that Jesus prayed for his disciples. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world. <laughs> when you're not a scrapper by nature, Oh, gosh, the last thing you want to do is fight over something. Gosh, argue or struggle over. I struggle enough with myself, much less I want to struggle with somebody else. Are you out there today? But we've arrived at a place in the American culture where the, if things have been brought to us. You know, long years ago, 2015, the Supreme Court of the United States decided to take up whether or not states had the right to have a Defense of Marriage Act that would prohibit marriage from, um, you know, man and man or woman and woman, and it could just be between man and woman, which is, you know, since the Genesis, God created male and female. And so, but the Supreme Court found that, no, that they couldn't, the states didn't have the right to do that. And in essence, it legalized gay marriage across the United States. And everybody was a part of it, whatever side you want to be on. I'm not even going there. But, but churches, here's what we do. We knew that it was the stone thrown in the water. And there would be a ripple effect, a ripple effect that's taken place. And I think we've all been amazed at the pace. The pace. We're now, and I'm going to come back to this one again today, because I'm, I'm, in, I'm in shock and awe about some of these things today. I'm in shock and awe about the, the, the emphasis on transgenderism. 
Again, let me just say this. What, what do I believe about transgenderism? I believe it's a form of idolatry. What do you mean, Pastor Brown? Because if, if you don't recognize what, that your body, what it was created by God, you just simply said, I'm going to reshape it into something that I think it should be. That, uh, and in doing so, then from there, you just have shaped God into something that you wanted him to be. Did you hear that today? I know that's, that's just a, the, the layman's terms and in the, the, my inability to say anything more about it. I'm just surprised today where we have arrived at this place today where, where this, is, this is, I'm telling you, church family, I'm saying this and I'm closing, I promise. You better build yourself up on your most holy faith is all I can tell you because you have not seen the end. You have not seen the end of what's going to take place as a result of some of the things that are coming to us right now. And so we better stay full of the Holy Spirit. We better pray for God to keep us in his love and to keep us from falling. Come on, somebody. And to be willing to shine forth the word of life. God's still saving people. As, the, as many people as you see, I, the, the news highlights a lot of it. Mean, I mean, I was talking to Sister Sherry recently, and I said, Sister Sherry, we can't buy Bud Light anymore. So I'm just, I don't, I don't even really know. <laughs> come on that's good right there come on that's funny listen it, this thing is this thing has gotten crazy but we haven't seen the end and we have to know why we're doing why we're doing isn't that right Shane we gotta know why the media will never show you somebody who was formerly in that lifestyle, who somebody brought them to an awareness that Jesus died for them and God opened their eyes and brought them under conviction and they repented of their sins and they turned their back on that lifestyle and God has totally delivered them glory to God. That's not going to be on CNN news. Come on, somebody. But I want you to know God is still doing that. And that's why we hold forth the word of life, knowing that the power of the gospel can still change the hearts of man. So I encourage you today. What are you and I doing? I'm going to share with you in the days ahead, not today, but I've got something in my heart that Pastor Brown's going to do to both influence the culture and to resist the religious and the political and the cultural influence. What are you doing? Are you hiding in the four walls of the church hoping that this will be like the storm yesterday? Me and Sherry sometimes do that. We just kind of hunker down hope it goes by us. If it goes by us, it means it probably got my neighbor. <laughs> Justin, wherever you're at, you better be careful. Because you're like, man, my house was destroyed. And I'm over here going, Lord, I prayed that it would go north of us just a little bit. So you got to be careful. You got to be careful. Does your faith influence? I mean, here's a question I have for you. Does your faith influence your political views? <laughs> it better, right? Does it influence your cultural support? I hope so. Are you prepared for this cultural divide to get only wider? Because it is. We've not seen it as of yet. The cultural divide has not, it's, it's, it's like an earthquake. Well, we, he mentioned Korah, and that Korah fell into the earthquake. That means the earth opened. The earth is open, the divide is getting wider. Are you prepared for it? Are you prepared for the continued economic upheaval 
that's taking place, the only way you're going to make it through those times, church family, is to be full of the love of God, full of the faith of God, building up yourself on your most holy faith. So Jude here, Jude here gave us a small epistle, 25 short verses, addressing things that he was dealing with in his day. He was dealing with men that had crept into the church who were teaching the grace of God and turning it into lasciviousness, debauchery. He was dealing with mockers and uh, those that, that, were, that were lusting in the flesh and propagating that in, as, as being ordained of God. And he's, he's sharing to the church and saying, you better contend for the true gospel. Isn't that amazing? 2,000 years later, we find ourselves in a very similar season. Don't we, church family? So I want to encourage you today. Ask yourself some hard questions. What are you doing? What's the motive of why you're doing things? Are you contending for the faith that was once delivered? Are you hoping to influence others rather than to be continually influenced by? And are you willing, are you willing to suffer loss for what you believe? Those are fair questions and many others that you need to ask yourself. Our heads bowed and our eyes closed. I've done all I can do. Today, contend. Next week, reprove. Hmm. I hope, I hope that you, if you're new to our church, if you're new, I'm telling you, you don't understand the conflict that rages within me to have to come up here and minister this way. I don't do it every week. I don't do it Every time you come, I've been, for the last four weeks, I've been following Jesus, journeying towards Calvary. It's a, my, my nature again, peace, peacemaker. But Jude said, you better be willing to contend for the faith. Because there are those, they don't care whether I'm a peacemaker or not. They will take it, strip me of it. And leave me along the roadside. Like in the story of the Good Samaritan. And so I have to be girded up in my faith. And in what I believe. And be willing to stand for it. And so do you. I'm going to give you a twofold invitation today. Twofold. Number one. Man, despite my ramblings today. There might be somebody under the sound of my voice here today. God brought you to this house. To hear this sermon. It had political, uh, uh, what do they call it, uh, undertones, overtones, whatever it is. It had something that you could, you could, you could smell the fragrance of it. Yes, it does. It does. There's a, there's a little bit of that floating there. There's some distinctions from some of the cultural norms. It was part of it too. Yes, yes, all of that. But at the heart of it, at the heart of it is this. Here's the heart of it. All we like sheep have gone astray. But God laid upon Jesus the iniquity of us all. Jesus died for me. I believe that with all my heart. But here's the truth today. I want to, I want to give you this to you today. He died for you as well. He died for you. He gave his life's blood for you. No matter what side of the fence, no matter what side of the argument that you have been on, Jesus died for you. Here's an opportunity for you 
to be able to give your heart and life to him. As a pastor, I know how to pray with you. I know how to join my faith to your faith so that you can trust Christ for salvation. I want to ask you, if you're here today, as our heads bowed and our eyes closed, the church is getting a little unsettled, and they know we're hastening towards being let out. But church family, let me just tell you, just real quickly, there could be one. Joe prayed it earlier. There could be somebody here today that with all the ramblings and all the preaching and all the yelling and all that, despite all of that, the word of the Lord has penetrated your heart, and you know that you're a sinner and you need a Savior. I want to pray with you today if that's you. I'll give you the opportunity to pray with me right where you're at. If you have the courage to raise your hand, I'll pray with you. Slip your hand up right now, and I'll pray with you today if there's anyone under the sound of my voice. I'll wait on you for just a moment. Secondly, we're going to close in prayer. Who here today? said, Pastor, I understand kind of what you were preaching, trying to understand what agitates you, stirs you, moves you. And you were speaking to my heart. I realize today I've got to contend for this gospel, for the faith that was once delivered. And I need to be built up in faith to be able to endure the challenges that comes with that. Pastor, would you pray with me today? Let me see if that's you. Hands ought to, every hand ought to go up, and most of them are. Why don't you stand up with me today, and we're going to close in prayer. We've been talking amongst ourselves as some of the pastors here today, you know, about closing in the service sometime in celebration, sometimes bring the worship team back. All that. I'm for all of that at the right moment. But I'm also for just a little moment at times of just somberness and saying, God, help me. And God, strengthen me. And God, help me to not just watch things on TV, uh, watch the news, and uh, shout at the darkness, but don't do anything. Which is the typical pattern of people in the church. Right? We just hide in our four walls. We mention it. We talk about it. We get aggravated by it. But we never get involved to the degree that we really hope to influence somebody in the power of life transformation through the cross of Calvary. So I'm going to ask you to let's pray. Let's pray together and let's ask the Lord to help us earnestly contend for the faith. We all have a different mandate. We all have a different ministry. But God can still use us to accomplish His ministry through us. Father, I bless the people. If there's any faith in my heart today, if there's any at all, I pray over my church family. Father, in the name of Jesus today, I pray over them. Somewhere along the line, Father, we're going to be brought off of the sideline and we're going to be put on the field. And you're going to give us an opportunity to contend for the faith that was once delivered to the saints. In this passage, God, I didn't mention that Jude didn't address the bishops and deacons. He just said those who are called, those who are sanctified, those are being preserved in Christ. All of us, God, are called to contend for the faith. Lord, I pray, God, whether it be in our own family, whether it be on the job, whether it be with our friends when we sit down across the dinner table and an opportunity is presented to us, help us to no longer shy away from that opportunity. Let us be studied. 
Let us be prepared. And when that moment occurs, let us share the truth of the Word of God in Christian love. So I bless the people today. I'm grateful for what Jude has stirred my heart these many years with. And I pray this message becomes far more real to the church when they read this on their own and they're praying privately, God help me to earnestly contend for the faith, to earnestly contend for the faith, to be faithful in all things, God, to be built up in faith, endure trial, so that the light of the gospel can go forward. In Jesus' mighty name, and all God's children said amen and amen and amen. Thank you so much.